Take your Bibles, if you would, please. We're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture this morning, but we'll begin in Romans, Romans chapter 6, as we address today the true and the complex nature of freedom. An important reminder for every area of our life and uh, every necessity of life as we put these things together, that which we've been studying in the book of Ecclesiastes, that in which we celebrate in the United States, this, this day of independence, this land of the free, we're pressed with current events and pressed in our own personal lives and caught sometimes in this freedom that has been granted to us that is not an absolute libertarian kind of freedom, but a freedom within a framework both from a nation, as families, in marriage, in the church, and our own personal lives. And sometimes we forget the complexity of the true nature of freedom and use that freedom in a way that is detrimental. And I believe that's our culture today. I believe that perhaps some of you here today are living that kind of freedom. And there are consequences, of course, for all of that. What I don't want to do was try and make too much out of all of this, but I will weave together just a lot of things and remind you of some things that we've studied in the past about the nature of freedom, the complex nature of freedom, but most importantly, to celebrate the freedom that we have that is in Christ alone. And I hope that as a takeaway today, you will celebrate that freedom, that glorious freedom from bondage and from sin, not to do whatever you want to do, but to glorify the King. That's exactly what we've sung about this morning. And I pray that that might become a reality in all of our lives. As we celebrate as a nation, and this weekend our independence, as we celebrate this land of the free and indeed At one point in time, we were the freest nation in all of the world. We must be consciously aware, painfully aware of the current events of our culture that help us to understand or at least reveal the reality that sometimes we take that granted freedom for granted. Sometimes we misunderstand that freedom. Other times we abuse that freedom, and there's always a consequence to that, whether as a nation, a church, a family, a marriage, a people. Freedom has to be something that we wrestle with and wrestle through and understand correctly, for a failure to do so has dire consequences in the temporal life, this, this temporal life that, that we have today, but, but sometimes there are eternal consequences for the abuse of freedom and the misunderstanding of, of really what that is and, and how that manifests itself, whether in the culture or the marriage or the family or the church, we don't seem to have a grasp any longer on the new nature or the real nature of freedom. We've lost that nuanced complexity that must be restored in every area of our society and culture in our own personal lives or There are dire consequences. I believe we're experiencing some of those already. I know you are, your own families and lives and the misunderstanding of of freedom. We get to the passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 6. It's a glorious text that talks about genuine and true freedom. 
Paul is moving through this, this book to the church at Rome, and he's, and he's explaining clearly about the need of salvation in chapter 1, the role of Christ in salvation for all people in chapter 2, the reality of sin in chapter 3, and the promises of God. And, and as he moves through the book of Romans, chapter by chapter, of course, it was one long letter, but in our text, chapter by chapter, we gain a greater and greater appreciation for freedom. And just prior to him talking about the freedom that we have in Christ, he does make it very clear in chapter 5 that that freedom is not something that we all possessed at one point in time. In fact, he says, as for by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. And as we were reflecting on the theology of this text and looking back to chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 5 and even right through chapter 8 and onward in the book of Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. Every single human being, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Unless we only blame this on Adam, every person in this room has sinned personally and come short of the glory of God. See, we want to talk about freedom, and everybody has all this autonomous freedom to do whatever they want, but the truth of the matter is, you are dead, according to Paul in Ephesians, in your trespasses and sin. Dead. Nothing you can do. There is no freedom other than to live that life of unrighteousness. You are bound by your sin. Where's the freedom in all of that? Well, that's the good news, for Paul says in that very same verse, verse 19 of chapter 5, So by the one man's obedience, many were made righteous. Through the act of God providing a sacrifice for your sin and my sin, a sin that we were in bondage to, God made a way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Why? Not because you were good enough. Why? Not because you were deserving enough. Why? Because you were sinners and you were in bondage and there was no way out of that bondage to a place of freedom, but God provided that freedom in His Son, Jesus Christ. So, Paul talks about this gospel of freedom beginning in the first verse. So, what shall we say then? If, in fact, we have been freed through the obedience of one Christ Himself, if, in fact, we are no longer under bondage to sin, what does that mean? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Do we have absolute freedom now in God to do whatever we want to do? Paul says, no. There are restrictions to that freedom. Even though you are free indeed, you are free to live soberly and righteous in this present age. You're not free to do whatever you want to do or whatever you feel. Sin has no place in the life of the believer. You can't say, I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want to do. That's not the text. Your freedom is limited by grace, not to continue in sin, but to abound in righteousness. So he answers his own question, are we to continue in sin? Do we have freedom to do whatever we want to do? God forbid. It's not the way it is, he says. How can we who died to sin still live in it. Well, that's pretty preachy, Pastor Jim. That's my job, first of all. Second of all, that's the text. Well, I don't like the rules. I live in a free land. I've been freed from Christ. I'm free indeed. I can do whatever I want to do. That's not the text. 
We misunderstand freedom. We abuse freedom. We find ourselves in the abuse of freedom coming to to experience the consequences of our decisions, and then we want to blame everybody else. Paul is clearly talking about the freedom that we have in Christ, but he's saying, listen, if you are free in Christ, you still don't get to do whatever you want to do. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We can walk in freedom that results in a different kind of life, but again, it's not an absolute freedom. We don't get to do whatever we want to do. We get to do what God has created us to do for His glory. For if we've been united with Him, death like His… We shall certainly be reunited with Him in resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. By the way, that demand for absolute liberty and freedom, I can do whatever I want to do, comes from Adam. It is bound up in every human being's flesh. And the will is present with us, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. And I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I know I should be doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Any of you struggle with that kind of freedom? (laughs) Who shall deliver us then from this body of… I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. You can't understand true freedom outside of Christ. You can't understand the reality of the balance of freedom within a framework outside of Christ. And as we stop to, to celebrate that today, all our attention goes to Christ because He did that. He granted us freedom in His crucified body so, the, so that we would, according to verse 6, be no longer enslaved to sin. That's true freedom. No longer bound to do what you're not supposed to do, but freed to live a life of righteousness and to make right choices. That doesn't mean that we always do that. Glimpse in the mirror should remind all of us that. See, even we sometimes struggle with the true and complex nature of freedom. But Paul makes it very clear, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Sin has been rendered powerless in your life through the gift that comes through Christ alone. Now, if we have died with Christ, then we believe that we will also live with Him. And we know that Christ, being raised up from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. Aren't you thankful for that? What a grievous thing that people are gathered in churches today celebrating a Christ still on the cross. I have news for you. He's not on the cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints, and He's coming soon. been raised from the dead, and death hath no more dominion over him. And here's the good news in freedom. Death hath no more dominion over you. Sin has no more dominion over you. Christ has broken that dominion. He has granted you freedom from your sin. He has raised you up in His glorious body for a different kind of life. For the death that he died, verse 10, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves, you must reconcile yourselves in the context of freedom. You must understand yourselves as being dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. Things have changed when you come to know Him as Savior. What hasn't changed? 
this sinful desire to do whatever we want to do. What hasn't changed is our absolute demand for freedom. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. That's still here in our flesh. Part of chapter 7 is Paul celebrating that soon that will be gone from his flesh for he will, he will see his Savior. He'll no longer wrestle with this body of sin. He'll be released from it. This is a battle, and I believe it's the greatest battle that we face sometimes, this misunderstanding of the freedom that we have in Christ and the abuse of that freedom. But listen, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to do whatever you want. No, that's not what he says dead to sin and alive unto God through Jesus Christ. So, who regulates your freedom? It's not you. It's God. How does He have a right to regulate my freedom? Because He granted it to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood. He purchased you. You no longer are slaves to sin. You are slaves to righteousness. You say, that's not a great trade-off. I'm still a slave. The sooner you recognize and come to grips with that, the better you will be in life, in this nation, in your family, in your marriage, in the church, and in every other aspect of life. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you. Since you are not under law, but under grace. But isn't it true that even though we're under grace, sometimes we misunderstand our freedom? Sometimes we want to go back to that which we were once in bondage to. I make the rules. I decide. Nobody gets to tell me what to do. The complex nature of freedom, this is critically important for the believer. But I also believe that in the context of our world, this is important as well. We're reading and studying a text. Probably have some visitors. I know we have some visitors today on on this holiday weekend, but we're studying a text in the book of Ecclesiastes, where a man of God who's been given wisdom by God is wrestling with things under the sun and exercising his freedom to do and to pursue anything he wants to do and pursue. And he makes a conscious choice in the context of that to, to pursue an answer to the question, what is life all about and what does it really mean? But in this pursuit of life, he does it under the sun. He kind of puts God on a shelf and he says, I'm going to make sense of life. I'm going to do what I want to do because surely if I get to do what I want to do, I will find some sense of lasting happiness under the sun. We're not done with the book, but we've read the end of the story. In fact, we started with that. And he comes to the conclusion that he's not free to do whatever he wants to do because it's an empty life. Our freedom isn't absolute. We don't get to do whatever we want to do. We must do what we've been created to do. And throughout this book of Ecclesiastes, he goes back and forth wrestling in his heart and mind about this nature of freedom. And can he make his own way? And can he do his own thing under the sun? He purposed to do that. 
We got through the first uh, couple of chapters, or almost through the first couple of chapters, and he has made a place for himself, and he's gone and, and achieved all that more than all that were before him in Jerusalem. He, he's got a heap of money. He's got a heap of possessions. He's got a blessed family. He has everything this world has to offer. And he says, it didn't do what I thought it was going to do. I'm not as free as I thought I would be. He'll go on and explain this a little later on for those who will continue with us in this, in this journey of studying Ecclesiastes. He's going to say, okay, now that I've done all this, I've got to give it to some knucklehead who's going to come after me and has no idea of the toil that I've been through to achieve all of this. He, he realizes this is all fleeting, and the freedom that he thought he had proved to be empty. So he comes to a conclusion in that text in the end of chapter 2 by saying there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment, even in the difficult times of life, even in toil. Because this also I saw is from the hand of God. And what a great statement and question for apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? My freedom doesn't matter apart from God. It always disappoints. It's never going to be enough. And as he goes through all of that, we could go back into to, to chapter 1 where he talks about nature. Remember that chapter? The streams all flow into the sea, and the wind blows from the west to the east, and, and it happens every single day, and there's nothing new under the sun, and, and nature just kind of marches on, and it never changes. Funny thing about that. Nature never changes because God has designed this universe with a purpose. God has designed you with a purpose. And the mistake that we have made is to think that that purpose somehow is for me to do things my way and to live life on my terms and do whatever I want to do, because if I can do that, I will truly be happy. And the wisest man and the richest man and the most accomplished man in history says, I've been there and done that, rather disappointing. He didn't understand the complex nature of freedom try as he would to sort out life and make it work on, on his terms, it didn't happen. You know, even in the United States, we've been granted a freedom, probably some of the greatest freedoms in the world, at least by these, quite frankly, geniuses who, who put together the Constitution and the law and the orders of the United States of America. It's under grave and great threat today, and We've experienced this, this one nation under God. We realize that there are still a number of people who are not under God. They are still in their rebellion and sin. They're still trying to work it out and do it their way. And boy, does that lead to consequence of disunity and conflict in the culture. And things took a really bad turn, sorry boomers, back in the 1960s. Remember those 1960s, don't you? Some of you are nodding your head. For some of you, it's ancient history. What's 1960? Never heard of such a thing. There's nothing new under the sun. Generation after generation after generation demands that they're going to do it their way in spite of the laws, in spite of the order, in spite of creation, in spite of what is plain to the eye. We're going to do it 
our way. In fact, it was celebrated at the end of the 1960s, 1969, by someone that some of you would know well, Frank Sinatra. Remember his song, I Did It My Way? How'd that work out for the 1960s? The same way it works out for us today. There's no absolute freedom to do whatever you want to do to search whatever pleasure you want, to make whatever gain you want. It is no such thing. We find ourselves at a point of history in, in, in our country today that we're trying to get back to the established order of a culture, but nobody wants to go back there because the order of the culture means you don't have absolute freedom, and we're demanding absolute freedom. But what has that done for us? Our culture's a mess. Our people are at each other's throats because we've misunderstood that freedom always comes within a framework. There's always got to be rules and order. There's a, there's a reason and an order to, to this great nation. The same is true for God's people. The same is true for marriage. Why are marriages in trouble? Because we felt that we had the freedom to, to, to redesign and reinterpret marriage in our own eyes for our own good pleasure. Again, how did that work out for us? Dreadful. The consequences are dreadful. How about the family? We're going to do it our way. We're going to make our way, and, and, and we get to make the rules. How's that worked out for us? Dreadful. This notion of absolute freedom is foreign in creation. It is foreign to the world. It is foreign to God's people. But if we can somehow find a place where we understand that there is freedom, but within the context of a, of a framework, and we can't go outside of that framework, we can give up our rabbit and absolute independence and demand to do whatever we want to do with no consequences, realize there is a place in life where you can find contentment and true freedom. Reflected at the end of the message last week, the statement of David Gibson and his brief little synopsis of Ecclesiastes, thus says the man who had everything. He discovered that although we pursue happiness in every corner of our lives, in the same corners lurks the darkness of diminishing returns. In the end, achievements and pleasures do not last. Everything is ephemeral. It's, it's lasting only for a short time. Happiness is a vanishing vapor, and our bubbles burst eventually. Pastor Jim, I'm free in Christ. You can't you can tell me I have to do this, and I… You don't understand the complex nature of freedom. And in one simple way, let me explain it to you. In our culture today, in our nation, in marriages, in families, in churches, and in people, even God's people, we have claimed that freedom is freedom to do whatever we want to do, and freedom from the consequences of what we do. And in this text, in this passage of Scripture, it reverses that. And the good news of the gospel and this complex nature of freedom is that you are free from the bondage of sin, 
and from your fleshly desires, and from the evil one, and from the evil of the world, and and from the evil that resists in your flesh, and from the unrighteousness in this world. You are free indeed from all of that, and that freedom from creates a freedom to give up your absolute right to do whatever you want to do and yield yourselves in obedience to God who has rescued you through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. I can't do it. Yes, you can. You've chosen not to, because Paul has just told us that there is freedom in Christ. Now, I'm not minimizing in any way besetting sins and the draw the lust of the flesh and of the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I told you last week, I don't have a good grip on this as I'd like to, and neither do you. But if we're really going to understand freedom and how we live our life, it's got to be on God's terms. And if it's on our terms, no matter what we achieve, that bubble eventually bursts, and we come to the conclusion that there must be something more. That's exactly what happens to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. He had to change the equation. He was never granted the right by God to do whatever he wanted to do with no strings attached and no consequences as a result. He had to realize that God created this world in a particular way for His glory, and as hard as you might try, you cannot change that order. A man is a man, and a woman is a woman. A marriage is a sacred union. It has nothing to do with the government and civil law. God is the author of life, and only He has the right to take it away. That's the order. You can fight all you want. You can exercise all the freedom that you want, but what did you get for it? What a mess we have today. Isn't that so much even like our lives sometimes? I'm free to do. No, you don't understand. You are free from. So what you do is according to the order of the culture. So what does that mean? You work at your marriage until death do you part. You lead your children Fathers, you take head of your household. We live soberly and righteous in Jesus Christ, and we slip back into that libertarian freedom, and we slip back into those besetting sins. But at least we're growing and understanding what this true nature of freedom really is all about. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about because you don't know the real nature of freedom. And some of you who do know in Jesus Christ have never reconciled the true nature of freedom. As we look at the real nature of freedom, we come to a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. You don't need to turn there. You can if you'd like to. Jesus is beginning to reveal Himself as the Savior of the world. And the religious leaders who have placed the people in bondage for all of their excess laws are beginning to wonder if this Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the the promised one of the Old Testament, and, and that is grating on the religious leaders of that day. He reveals to them in chapter 7 of the text that, that uh, He is the answer. He says, whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture is said, out of his heart will flow rivers of, of living water. 
And he's speaking about uh, providing the essence of life and all that entails life. And, and when some heard what he was promising, they began to call him the Christ and just further infuriated the religious leaders. In chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And in this context and in this chapter of, of John chapter 8, he, he addresses the issue of leaders or, or, or freedom, excuse me, and in addressing that freedom, he says in verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, He is talking now to believers, if you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Now, did you get what He's saying here? The same thing that Paul's trying to say. If you are my disciples, if you are following Christ as I am following Christ, if, if Jesus is saying, if you are going to acknowledge me as Messiah, if you're going to accept me, you must abide in my words, and then you are truly my disciples. In other words, when you make a decision to follow me, you give up your absolute freedom and you are free from the bondage of sin to all of the promises that I've made and you're free to live according to the order of the universe and the culture and those who are called by my name. And what does that look like? He says it looks like obedience. And you will know the truth, and you will finally be free. The truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? confuse national identity with personal relationship. Sometimes in the house of God, we do the same thing. Do you know, if I wasn't a citizen of this great land, I'd still be a child of the King and free indeed. Did you know that? Free indeed. Free to do what? Whatever I want to do. No. Freedom from the bondage of sin and freedom to live soberly and righteous and in obedience to the Word because the only true lasting joy is to understand that this is God, how God created the world. These are the rules, and if I live within these rules, there is pleasure even in toil. There are things that I can enjoy about this life because of what Christ has accomplished for me. That is the true nature of freedom. Do you know it? Do you have it? He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly. He's emphasizing, pay attention to this. This is important. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is in bondage to sin. You think you're free? You are in bondage to sin. It's direct response to these Jews. The slave does not remain in the house forever the Son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free from your bondage in sin, you will be free indeed. Do you know that freedom today? You know, as you reflect upon some of the things that Jesus is trying to teach here, and you begin to reflect upon what we celebrate as a nation and sometimes what we champion even in the church. I shared this with you last week. It was probably the thing that irritated you the most, so I'm going to say it again. That's not why I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again because it's true. We've got to stop pretending as God's people 
that freedom in Christ says we can do whatever we want to do. Stop pretending. That's not true. You are free to be everything He created you to be for His glory. Male and female created He them. Be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And if we can live with inside that order, there is certain enjoyment and pleasure that comes through life. But when we step over the boundaries onto the other side, there are consequences. And if you think your freedom is absolute, you will eventually pay the consequence, but that not the freedom that Jesus is offering to those in the gospel or Paul records in Romans. We are free from the bondage of sin. We are free to live within the world that God has created and to take pleasure in the good things. James says, every good and perfect thing that comes from God. What a blessed place to be. We can throw off the shackles of this false nature of freedom and understand we are free indeed. And God has blessed me here and here and here and here. And as I live within the confines of the order of the culture, there is a sense of fulfillment in life. What drives me is not just this life, but the promises of the King and the life that comes hereafter. That is the complex nature of freedom. And that freedom only comes through the gospel. And the gospel is this, you're dead and your trespasses and sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You think you're free. You're in bondage to your sin. That's what Jesus told these Jews. You're not free. You've never been free. You are in bondage to your sin. And Paul reiterates that good news through one man's disobedience, many became sinners. Through the obedience of one, many became righteous. Here's the good news. Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture. Not because you were worthy, yet when you were still sinners, Christ died for you, that you might have freedom, that you might have release, that you might come out from under the bondage of sin and, and the bondage of rebellion and this crazy notion that you can do whatever you want without consequence. It's a crazy notion, but it's everywhere in our culture today, isn't it? I'm far less concerned about our culture. I am God's people. There's a crazy freedom where, where even God's people are championing things that are directly opposed to the order of the culture of the God who created all things. Stop pretending. And stop and start living like you're free from the bondage of sin, to live sober and righteous lives and to enjoy this life and the good things that God has given to us. What a healthy perspective. What a healthy perspective. As we wrestle through all of that, the gospel has changed, though. The gospel now has become all about Jesus, not Christ crucified to grant you freedom from the bondage of sin, but it's all about Jesus. What would Jesus say and what would Jesus do? Well, certainly Jesus wouldn't be like the church today. You misunderstand. It's His church, and there's an order to His church, and we have no freedom to go outside the order of that church and stop pretending. You cannot have Christ and live a libertarian freedom whatever way you want. You cannot become a law unto yourself even as a Christian. Stop it. Stop it. And I believe this is a timely message. 
not just for a nation, but for a people and our marriages and our families and our own personal lives. And it ought to bring a weight of conviction that reminds us that we're not home yet and the things we want to do, we don't do. And have you noticed the things we do want to do, we don't seem to be able to do that? We still have sin in the flesh until we sort out the complex nature of freedom from and freedom to instead of freedom to and freedom from. We're never going to get this right, even the gospel. I don't care how sentimental you are towards the Jesus of the Bible. If you have not embraced Him as creator of the universe, as sovereign as Lord, you don't know the Jesus of the Bible. That only comes through the gospel, and that's where we're made free indeed. So if you choose to be free indeed, you must recognize and understand as the words of Jesus to this crowd, your bondage is into sin. You're not free to do anything you want. In fact, in your freedom, you are just living out your bondage, and the only escape is me. I have come to give you life, and that more abundantly. Indeed, He has. We've tasted of that fruit, but at the same time, At the same time, we want to say, yeah, but just because He rescued me doesn't mean He can tell me what to do. Oh, you don't understand freedom. You don't understand freedom. Dead and trespasses and sin. Oh, we look great on the outside. Nice, nice, nice white sepulchers, right? <laughs> We're still dead. God has given us life in that abundantly, and we've got to get this right. You can indeed be free again. You can indeed get to the point in time in your life and in the realities of life that you recognize and understand that there is a freedom that isn't a libertarian freedom that says you can do whatever you want and no outside force can govern you. It is a freedom that releases you from your own worst practices and gives you an abundant life in Jesus Christ, a freedom that we often substitute with that which is trivial and brings a fleeting satisfaction but never any meaning and joy and true fulfillment. And I encourage you, hang with us in the book of Ecclesiastes because that's exactly what he's arguing for. There's more. There's more. You've got to get this freedom right. Do you know that today, do you know in the past, Christ has provided you freedom from your bondage to sin? There was nothing you could do about it. You were incapable of anything right or righteous. You were being driven by the whims of the flesh and the desires of your heart and dead and trespasses and sin until God entered your life and gave you true freedom. You know that you were once under the condemnation of God, a vessel's fit for wrath and yet now those in Christ, there is no condemnation. You know how gloriously free that is? There is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That baffles me because I know who I am. I'm not always the man I want to be or need to be. And yet he looks at me clothed in his righteousness with no condemnation. 
I'm a child of the King. He looks at me as being freed from judgment. He looks at me as being spiritually dead and now spiritually alive. He, he looks at me in this, this life that I seek to live as I try and grapple with this reality of freedom, and He gives me perspective. And each day I get a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, So just so that we're clear. To be free indeed is never about being free to do whatever you want to do and free from the consequences of your choices. To be free indeed is to be freed from bondage and judgment and condemnation and a freedom to be obedient to the Christ who has rescued us for the glory of the great God and our Savior, the Savior who will come again. What kind of freedom are you practicing today? Well, perhaps, perhaps this is the crux of the matter. It is not a confusion of freedom that you have. It's a confusion of the freedom that you don't have. You have to flip that equation of to and from to from and to. And you must know that only Christ did that. Only Christ provides that. Only Christ could offer that. But if you're anything like me, more lucid times, you're well aware of that. In the trenches, not so much. So Paul says, when you come together and eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you remember the Lord's death until He comes. In other words, you're free indeed, but it came at His cost, and this is the cost. That is the true nature of freedom. And although there's some complexity in how we practice what has been achieved and accomplished, we must continue to come back to these texts. We must continue to come back to these realities. We must continue to understand that we are saved from our sin to the glory of God the Father and Jesus Christ alone. And we need to be reminded of the price that was paid and maybe, God willing, We'll understand a little bit more today than we did yesterday about the true nature of freedom. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, my bondage? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. May you know that freedom. May you exercise that freedom. May you live in that freedom, and may you enjoy the simple pleasures of life and know that a better day is coming. As we prepare our hearts for the celebration, this remembrance, the nature and source of our freedom, we remind ourselves of Paul's admonition to the church at Corinth about the celebration of this cup. But I'd like to remind you that in Romans chapter 6, Paul continues his treatise beyond what we discussed, and here are the words that he writes. What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin that grace by abound? By, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He goes on to remind us that if we're truly going to exercise freedom, there must be an open, conscious decision on all of our parts to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You say, well, that gives up my freedoms. That's not what I want to do. Then you don't understand freedom. So you yield your bodies and your members and your thoughts and your desires and your actions to God, and you glorify Him because you're free from the bondage of sin, and you glorify Him becoming free to that order of the culture and the rules of engagement and living soberly and righteous in this present age, but it is never… I shouldn't say that. As we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior… We put old battles behind. We, we do get some victory once in a while. Have you noticed that? Some, sometimes we fight the same battle again, but we, we do get some victory. We grow and, and, and we progress, but we're not home yet. We need to be reminded that, that even those who have been bought with a price and given absolute freedom still wish to return to the bondage of condemnation. And this notion that we can do whatever we want to do. I ask you, isn't that an offense to the cross? Isn't that an offense to the gospel? Isn't that unbecoming of those who have been bought with a price to just do whatever they want to do? That's Paul's point in the text. Of course it is. So you need a purpose in your life to live out this freedom to, to the glory of God, and you need to remind yourselves of the motivation, and that is the table. God did that. God did that. There is a complexity to freedom, and yet at the same time, there's a simplicity. A long time ago, to be honest with you, almost 50 years now. Oh, wow, how'd that happen? Almost 50 years ago, a little church in Johnson City, Floral and Ackley Avenue, I found freedom. I found freedom. And I, from that day forward, was free indeed. Over the course of those 50 years, I forgot some things along the way. Maybe like Sinatra and everybody else of the 60s, and I'm one of those boomers, sorry. I did it my way. And as the writer of Ecclesiastes said, I came up with a handful of nothing. You ever been there? A handful of nothing? Christ has done an amazing thing, and He's doing an amazing thing, and He will finish that amazing thing when we see Him and become like Him. But we've got to work harder at understanding the true nature of freedom, and we've got to understand that there is no freedom outside of Christ. Father, we thank You. That at a time when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, in accordance with Your divine plan and unmerited, unlimited grace, You rescued us 
through Christ, gave us the privilege to become the sons of God. Free indeed from the bondage of our past life. Free indeed from the consequences of that bondage. Free from condemnation. Free from judgment and free to live as one's claimed by the blood of Jesus Christ, called to live holy, righteously, and justly in this present age. So often we want to run back to being free to do whatever we want to do without consequence. Remind us yet again that life never worked that way, and that you changed everything in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for this time and remembrance. Through your Spirit, enable and equip us to live soberly and righteous. Protect us from misunderstanding and abusing the real and complex nature of freedom, and find, find us as your people, find us as your children, find us as your church, a light in a very dark place, preserving influence in a world that has forgotten all order. And a people zealous of good works, yielding their freedom achieved in Christ for His glory alone. Wherever it might be, our perspectives on this nation and politics and family and marriage and gender and show us that we're your children who walk in light, give us courage to stand as a testimony of Your grace, and empower us as we preach the gospel of freedom to a world that is still in bondage. May we be faithful until You come, and we cry out even so, come, Lord Jesus. Bless us. We ask this day in Jesus' name.